Hello, hello, Jared hello. and I are back. We're going to be doing chapters 16 and 17. And today, Jared's going to read from the New King James Version. So we're switching it up a little bit. Um, so get your Bibles ready. So how are you, Jared? I'm doing really well. Um, keeping busy with the kiddos and work and all the holiday stuff is finally over. So it's been kind of a blessing to have a little bit of time off when they were so busy. So I totally get it. Well, this is chapter 16, the day of atonement. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of Aaron's two sons, when they offered strange fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil in the presence of the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony, lest he die. For I will be seen in the cloud above the mercy seat. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with a young bull of oxen as a sin offering and a ram as a whole burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with linen sash, and with the linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on. Then he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering and one ram as a whole burnt offering. So let's stop here. And Aaron's two sons died, right? Yeah. Uh, I wonder what they, do we already cover why they died? Maybe it is. The, the, yeah. Oh, we, we actually, you and I covered it. So yeah. It's kind of perfect how it works out. <laughs> this is the last, last time we uh, did a, the study. So yeah, they it died. Because bad, right? Yeah, and I think like the kind of sin that I suggested it was, was kind of like the sin of Cain, where he just brought what was convenient for him. Yeah, so they died. So then, okay, so they tell Aaron, your brother, not to come just into the holy place with us before them. So, okay, it was Aaron's sons who committed the sin. So now, okay, because it's been a while since we did the last podcast so I've forgotten all the drama that happened yeah Aaron's um committed the, the sons committed the sins and then Aaron didn't eat from the offering last time where Moses said something to him right and then he would justified it but then now they're going God is telling them that they cannot he can't go in into the holy of holy places or he's gonna die right Yep. He can't be around the ark. Because of the sin, he had to offer the young bull as a sin offering and a burnt mm -hmm. offering. That's why we're doing this now, right? It appears so in the text, yes. One thing I will like uh, kind of point out here that we just read in these six verses is that it's kind of interesting that there's two goats and one ram in the offering that they're doing, kind of like the two thieves that were next to Christ and then oh, Christ, yeah. who is the ram. So yeah. I think there's that too. And also Christ was baptized before he was on the cross as well. Yeah, that's that's washing, really good. Being clothed always, in righteousness. Uh, the other thing was, because I think it brings up like substitute, the goat has to go out in the wilderness too. So I think it's probably spot on with, you know, why they picked two goats and a ram, which probably does represent the two thieves. So then the other thing was that they had to wash their linens and take a bath before and after they went into the holy place. So like God was really strict. So basically they were getting baptized each time 
they were going into the holy place, right? Isn't that kind of like why they're doing this? Because yeah, it's kind of like a symbol of of the baptism. Yeah, in the new covenant. And it says they took the children of the Israel two kids of goats as a sin offering and one ram. Okay. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell, and after it as a sin offering. I think that's really interesting that they're casting lots over the goats because the Romans casted lots over Christ's clothing. Oh. And then after the resurrection in Acts, remember they casted lots to uh, see if see who would be the successor to Judas. How do you think they cast the lots on the goats though? Like what are they doing to them? Casting lots is just an action of random number generation. It's kind of like rolling a dice. But see, the thing here is that the goats who are, the one that's a scapegoat has to be a live goat, but they don't know which one is They don't know which goat's going to go. Yeah, to so they the both goats. have to be living. What are they doing? Like throwing them somewhere? Like what exactly do you think they're doing? Um, so the scapegoat, which is in Hebrew called Ezazel, I think it's it's also a reference to Enoch Enochian um literature. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Enoch, but um Azazel, it was ascribed to him all the sin of the watchers. Basically, he was the scapegoat for the fallen angels. Um basically he wanted all the angels to make a pact with him. That if he goes, they go, so to speak. Well, all of the sacrifices is essentially a scapegoat for one's sins anyway. So rather than God taking judgment on the person who sinned, it was the animal, which was the scapegoat to transfer the sin onto the animal. And then the animal is sacrificed. Exactly. So that, I guess visually i couldn't place like what they were doing to the goats as far as casting lots you know are they throwing oh the they're tr they're trying to decide which goat no no, no i know but i mean like the process of deciding because it says um whichever shall bring the goat on the lord's lot fell the offer is a sin offering but the goat on which a lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive so i don't know if they're doing any mini miny more if they're actually like throwing something but that's uh i guess it's left to the imagination right yeah I i'm not sure exactly it's an interesting um thing to look up later it's like how they casted lots yeah okay, i so imagine it's probably similar to like drawing drawing the short straw or something like yeah that. except th these are living animals i didn't know how they were able to do that i'm probably guessing that they let them run loose or something and then whoever goes a certain direction or something perhaps uh -huh. but the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness and Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and sh shall kill the bull as the sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar burnt before the Lord, with his hands full of sweet incense between fine, beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil." And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it 
with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side, and before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. So this part is interesting with the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat lest he dies. I think the other version explained it a little bit differently, but uh, it was to protect the testimony within the ark. So the incense was to cover up the sin, not to touch the testimony. I think that's what's happening. What do you think it is? Interesting. So it forms a cloud over the mercy seat over the testimony. Yeah. It's almost as if to make obscure the glory of God so that Aaron doesn't die. But so it's, it's like, I think it was trying to say like sin couldn't even enter the, uh, the Holy of Holies and the Ark of Co Covenant. Like it was that serious because it's God's testimony that was inside the Ark. Mm -hmm. So they couldn't have any sort of... So here's what the modern English version says. He shall put the incense on, on the fire before the Lord, and the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so he does not die. Yeah. So I, I think it was trying not to like have anything sin, like a barrier. The incense was a barrier mm. between God's testimony and their sins. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil. Do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their tabernacle. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. He shall sprinkle from the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. When he has made an end of atonement for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, then he shall bring the live goat and Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and shall send it away by the hand of a designated man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear on it all their iniquities to a desolate land, and she shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. So this is the part that I found really interesting, because it's kind of referencing Christ uh, bear all of our sins onto himself, right? But the part that's weird is it's instead of a lamb, it's a goat, which we know the goat term for like the wicked, right? The wheat yeah. and the tear. So why would the uh, the tear in this case, uh, the goat would bear all the inequities to the desolate land and then go free in the wilderness? I think this shows this kind of shows the it's showing the responsibility of all sin is ascribed to Satan and sending the go into the wilderness is, is similar to how Christ is going to the high priest Christ is going to send Satan and all his fallen angels into the lake of fire, into the place of gnashing of teeth. So you so, think the goat represents Satan in this case, because it was only Christ who 
took all our inequities. Because that part I was like confused on. Why God didn't pick the lamb, but he picked the goat in this case. So this is a direct reference to the goat is called Azazel that they're speaking of. Um, Azazel in Enochian literature, which would be an intertestament um, book, uh, Azazel was the leader of the fallen angels that caused men to sin during the flood of Noah. So this is both a looking back and looking forward. So, And in the book of Enoch, it says all sin was ascribed to Azazel during that time of the flood of Noah um, with the angels coming down and copulating with women it's kind of a reference to that as well well it is a scapegoat that's why it's a goat and not a lamb even though christ did to bear all our sins i think in this case probably because it was a scapegoat it was going to suffer judgment okay i think i got it now why it's not a lamb because the goat okay so the scapegoat takes our sins is transferred to the goat and is put into the wilderness to go free so that's essentially saying that goat is under judgment so when the goat is like took all those sins as a scapegoat ultimately the scapegoat would be sacrificed but in this case uh you know i was let go but the other one was offered but so i think maybe if it's referencing all the wicked that they're ultimately going to be judged they're harboring all the sins they never repented and for the time being they're let go free in the wilderness mm -hmm. but ultimately they are the scapegoat. I don't know. Maybe I'm messing that up. You think I'm reading too much into it? I'm not exactly sure that's what it's saying. For me, anyway, I think the most prevalent kind of symbol would actually be a symbol of what had happened in the past. That's right. what makes the most sense in my mind. And then the only thing that it makes sense to me is, um, and I might be wrong on this, but that the scapegoat is Satan because ultimately Satan's responsible for all the sin that's in the world. Uh, well, then ultimately, even Satan's going to get judged, right? So yeah, exactly. Maybe for the time being, he's let free. I think that could be a uh, uh, that could be um, a symbol of the end as well when he's set free yeah. and let loose to deceive the nations. And it says that the inequities go to a desolate land, so that mm -hmm. does mean like sin and death, right? Yeah. Not the lush uh, garden of Eden that God created. There's like, it's very symbolic to cast something out into the wilderness is to basically symbolize sending it into judgment. Yeah. Cause that's what happened with um, Nebuchadnezzar. He was cast right. into the wilderness and acted yeah, so like So that's an what animal. I'm thinking. Uh, the reason why it's not a lamb to represent Christ. I think it is representing the wicked because yeah. they're under judgment so it's consistent with that theme that we always talked about, especially in the first podcast on Leviticus. You talked a lot about the differences between sheep and goats and stuff. So I think to be consistent with that, this is really referencing the wicked being let go free in the wilderness for the time being. But ultimately, they're under judgment. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I think that's really good, actually. We're going with that? <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, verse 23 well, I always like to ask, what can it mean? And perhaps it means all of those things. Perhaps it also can be a reference to Christ as well. But it makes me feel uncomfortable to reference Christ as a goat. Like, that makes me feel really uncomfortable. Well, yeah, that's why I didn't want to do that either. I don't think it is referencing him. Because it gets a little confusing when, you know, he was supposed to be the lamb that got sacrificed. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, these goats, they, but they were both goats. So one got sacrificed as a burnt offering and the other one was let go into the wilderness. I don't think either one represent Christ because they're goats. It just mm-hmm. doesn't, it would throw the whole Bible into a tumble if we started using goat symbology for Christ. So yeah. Because we know that he's the lamb. So I, I think it has nothing to do with Christ. I think it is a scapegoat. which And means- I really do think it's a reference to Satan and the fallen angel Azazel. I think that makes the most sense because it's 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 a direct callback to, like, first, who's, alt- who's responsible for the first rebellion, Satan, of course. And yeah. then there was kind of a second rebellion, which was the watchers and the sons of God coming into the the daughters of men. I think this makes sense to reference Azazel and Satan because Azazel was judged right away. Satan is wandering free still. Yeah, so maybe it's referencing to Satan and his minions mm. that are still wandering the de- you know the wilderness. And I think that's what they're going to get because this is all if they're left to their if God didn't take judgment on them and mercy to like give them the second death, they essentially would be living in the desolate land forever. Okay, so verse 23. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall wash his body with water in a holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. The fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. He who releases the goat as a scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and afterward into the camp, come into the camp. The bull of the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place shall be carried outside the camp. They shall burn in the fire their hides, their flesh, their refuse. He who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterward, he shall come into the camp. Dude, it's, yeah. it's, sound, it's sounding even more like we were probably right on the whole yeah. angel thing. Because I think this answers it, does it not? Like, that's yeah. the fire. That's like, the judgment. See, now we understand. So when he, when um, they were saying send the, the scapegoat out into the wilderness, they were still going to end up in the fire, right? Yeah. So, okay, the bull for the sin offering, the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought into making a torment, shall be carried. Okay, so these are, I'm sorry, I don't want to confuse the one that oh, got This is the bull free. and this is the goat. So the one that's yeah. free is still free. So, yeah, these are right. But the other ones, they got the... the they got to be in the lake of fire, basically. But then everybody had to be baptized and after they went out and took care of the sin offering. Mm-hmm. They had to come back and wash everything and put on their clothes again before and after. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like a reference. It almost seems like a, another reference to Pentecost because after Christ died, what did they do? They baptized and oh yeah, right. So to kind of make them clean again because they well, were. Not only that, but they were baptized and holy fire came upon them in Pentecost. Right. Well, that's good. I, I think we're pretty close to what we said before. Um, but that's that's a cool thing about these symbols is like they're not. It's not just. It doesn't just mean one thing. It can mean many yeah. things. It's like ask yourself what what it all it can mean, not just what one thing it can mean. Because I think for sure. Be- but I think God is running this theme continuously. 
So learn the lingo the first time around. It's like decoding it. You know, what did the goat really mean? Then I think it starts to make a lot more sense as to what's really happening, like in God's mind. In our mind, I mean, these stories, especially in Leviticus, don't have that much to do with us today, except in symbolism, then it has a lot to do with us today. So if we decode what are the symbolism, then it would make a whole lot of sense to like, I think it always points to prophecy in the end. So the way I look at it, the Old Testament points to Christ. The New Testament points to his return. So all these symbolic stuff really early on is kind of like prophecy for us later in our time. Even though it's, it's explaining this, the story in simplicity of what those guys had to do. They didn't know, right? They were just doing the sacrifice as God told them to do. They had no idea of the symbolic meaning of this. We get to read the whole book, I mean, the whole Bible, so we kind of know there's more going on here than just sacrificing goats and rams and stuff, right? Mm. Okay, so verse 29. This shall be a perpetual statue for you, so that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall humble yourselves and do no work of any kind, whether it is native citizen or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse your sin, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It shall be a Sabbath, a solemn rest for you, and you shall humble yourselves. It is a perpetual statute. The priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as a priest in place of his father shall make atonement and shall put on the linen garments, the holy garments, and he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, for the tent of meeting, and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the congregation. This shall be a perpetual statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And Moses did as the Lord commanded. So this is a perpetual statue to make atonement once a year. So this wasn't all the time, right? This no. whole thing that we just read? This is the day of atonement, which is... So this makes sense, because this this has symbolism for the final judgment. Yeah. In it, very heavily. But it's also a Sabbath, which after the final oh, judgment, it. it is rest, eternal rest. Yeah. Everyone. This whole thing looks... It's like a panoramic symbol almost. It has reference to the days of old, the days of Noah, as reference to Christ's uh, resurrection. I mean, Christ as death, burial, and resurrection, and also the second coming and the final judgment. So this yeah, is the a judgment. This is like so a panoramic this, symbol. Yeah, it's like the whole rainbow. See, I, I originally thought they were talking about the Sabbath, like the weekly Sabbath, but this is only done yearly, and then they had to treat it as a sabbath once a year after the day of atonement so i think you're right that it's probably like has to do with the judgment um when they finally god takes judgment on all people after that is when we get the permanent sabbath to Mm -hmm. be blessed with god right yes Exactly. But then they could only do that after they make atonement for their sins to cleanse themselves and you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. So then basically we're cleansed from Christ's death and resurrection and that Mm -hmm. is rest for us now, right? Right. But I mean, it is and it isn't. So we will be made purified and completely holy in our new bodies and we will no longer have the 
the sinful um, bodies, sinful yeah. nature. We because right now we're kind of living dualistically. We have the the dead man, so to speak. That Paul. Yeah, says, so. we're like the Walking Dead, right? So yeah, we must yeah. die before we die, so we don't die when we die. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Chapter seventeen. Uh, the law about eating blood. This is something we already know. Uh, we're commanded not to eat blood, but some of this is kind of interesting how it lays out and then how the people ended up being guilty of sin when they didn't do the proper sacrifice of the animals for to allow the priest to do that. Rather, they went on their own to did it like either in the camp or outside the camp. And then they were deemed guilty. So let's read this. Uh, do you want to read? Continue sure. reading? Yeah. yeah, that's fine. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and to his sons and to all of the children of Israel and say to them, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded saying, if anyone of the house of Israel ritually slaughters an ox, a lamb or a goat in the camp or slaughters it outside of the camp and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it as a gift to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, then blood guilt shall be accounted to that man. He has shed blood and that man shall be cut off from among his people. This is so that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they offer in the open field even that they may bring them to the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting to the priest and offer them for peace offerings to the Lord. The priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting and burn the fat for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. They shall no more offer their sacrifices to goat demons after whom they have acted like whores. They shall be a perpetual statute for them throughout their generations. So there's a couple things going on here. Oh my gosh, there's actually a lot going on here. So first, so they were not allowed to just kill the animal on their own. They had to bring it to the sanctuary and have the priests slaughter it properly. Okay. Um, the part that was, I thought it was interesting, is that he has shed blood and that he shall be cut off among his people. So the act of killing an animal, even if it's for food, no, no, this priestly. is this is in direct reference to making a sacrifice. You weren't to do any sort of sacrifice. It's it it, it says ritually slaughters an ox, a lamb, or a goat. So up yeah. here is the context. It's it has to do with ritual. So you were not at all to do any kind of ritual sacrifice or offering on your own accord. You had to do it with the priests, and you had to do it with the yeah, because the they, they were the people. only anointed before the lord to carry out any sort of offerings so right they, and, and yeah. this is to protect them so that nobody can say oh this guy could have been offering god this is so that you can't deceive make themselves their own gods and priests right they right had, and yeah and they had accountability so like you couldn't secretly offer a goat or a lamb or anything to a demon yeah and that was the other thing that they started within the camp worshiping goat demons and offering sacrifices mm -hmm. isn't yep. that amazing so like they're in the wilderness with god and they got all this priestly stuff that they learned and how to do everything they all agreed that they were going to abide by his laws and do those proper otherwise they knew they were going to sin right and so all of a sudden like we get into them introducing goat demons i mean they actually started making idols and 
stuff that that they started sacrificing to isn't that kind of weird yeah well you know it's it's not as weird because like if you think about the area that they're in like the whole canaanite area was very pervasive with all kinds of debauchery and one of the least debaucherous things that the canaanites did did was sacrifice goats to demons that was kind of just common practice yeah but they really i can imagine i can imagine if they took over some tribe or something that perhaps the servants that they um, captured and whatnot would want to do such things as like sacrifice. But they haven't camp. entered the land of Canaan yet, right? So they're still kind of out. On well, they're wandering uh, around the it. Yeah. yeah. So they would have come into contact with. Yeah. Them. So I thought this was super interesting that this. But they're is also rebellious. Yeah. They're also really rebellious. So. But then the other thing that, you know, how the whole Baphomet um, symbolism today was Satanism. Yep. How they worship the Baphomet. So I'm thinking, oh my gosh, is that like the goat demon from the yesteryears? That- yep. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I think God. that's fair. I think that's fair to assume because it's always a goat. Yeah, like, demons are always in the form of a goat, and it even doesn't even matter the religion, like paganism. Like it's always the devil's always some kind of cloven hoofed goat creature. But if you notice today, culture in the actual, even though like it's Satan is symbol, they know it is. They're openly saying it, but then they also sacrifice to this Baphomet symbol. They have children going up a couple of the statues with children right next to. Uh, the goat demon. So I'm thinking this was coming all the way back from these days. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's ancient. It's, it's yeah. like people often think like, Oh, you guys don't believe in like the gods of the, it's like, you know, how atheists will be like, yeah, you guys just, we just go one more God. We just don't believe in one more God than you. Like you don't believe <laughs> in Zeus and all that. It's like, actually I do. Yeah. I do believe in Zeus. Zeus is a demon. I think we can see all the demons that are, already listed and what they they never stopped doing what they were doing so the wicked the goats they never stop and it just looks a little bit different today but i think it's good to know the history anyway well it's not even looking so different anymore it's going back yeah. to the original this is like even the satanic right. temple is just like well we think abortion is a sac i mean it's, there's no difference like come on no, we're sacrificing to a goat demon well that's why i like reading because i'm like hey and this is not just about yesterday it's still about yesterday and today and how it all kind of merges together nothing new under the sun yeah it's evil it's just more intense now that we have technology yeah but now i know where the goat demon comes from so uh, okay so verse eight you shall say to them any man from the household of israel or from the foreigners who sojourn among you who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it to the Lord, even that man shall be cut off from among his people. Whoever from the household of Israel or from the strangers who sojourn among among you who eats any manner of blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from amongst his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your lives. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Therefore, I said to the children of Israel, no person among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. The big thing here is that he's God saying he gave us blood 
specifically to make atonement for our sins. So where was it? Who is it? I set my face and cut him off. For the life is in the blood. I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your lives. Because it is the blood that makes atonement for your soul. For the life is in the blood. And I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement. What do you think this is saying that I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement? He's saying that the, there's only one context in which there should be any blood. And that's on the altar for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And that is the only way you make atonement for your lives is upon the altar, which God gave them. Like, I mean, it's, it's pretty clear that that's what it's saying. Um, and the other importance of it is that, Eventually, it will be Christ's blood that covers their sin. Yeah. That's why it's so important that it's not just anywhere at any time. Because it's pointing to a specific place. And that also points to a specific time in which God would come down and give his life. The blood that was slaughtered on the altar, like a lot of blood. We were talking about that before, right? A ton of blood. Mm -hmm. in this uh, tabernacle because they were doing the constant sacrifices plus the yearly sacrifices plus the big animals and then they were sprinkling it all over the place it's clear from this passage that it's the blood that makes the atonement for the soul so that's why they had to continue to sprinkle it to collect the blood like they did all over right because mm -hmm. that was like the sacrifice blood that was given to the lord for atonement yeah, and I think there's also a spiritual, physical connection to Christ. the blood of people. I think that's why, yeah. like, Satan and the demons want blood sacrifices. Oh, is yeah. There is a power, there is a life in it that comes direct, directly from God. So to sacrifice that which emanates from God is to spit in God's face. It is. I think that's why he's always uh, hell-bent on trying to kill people, and it's always related to the blood somehow, like either tainting or poisoning our blood or taking the blood, and then, you know, all the weird things that they're doing now. The it also says that the blood cries out from me. Right. So then I can only imagine, like, all the bloodshed that they've done, especially with abortion and children and, you know, all the blood children sacrifices they've done. All that blood carries cries to to god right and yeah it must have a lot of power for satanists to continue and i think that's where even like the movies like the vampires and stuff came from this idea all right verse 13 whoever from the children of israel or from the foreigners who sojourn among you who hunts and catches any wild animal or fowl may be eaten he shall even pour out the blood and cover it with dirt for the life of every creature is its blood in its blood is its life. Therefore, I said to the children of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature. For the life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats it, sh it shall be cut off. Every person who eats the that which died of itself or that which was torn by animals, whether he is a native citizen or a foreigner, he shall both wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until evening. Then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his body, then he shall bear his iniquity. So he kind of like, he can only, the symbolic of baptism is what really makes you clean. And then otherwise it's that it will bear the inequity. So then doesn't that kind of lay the idea that the people don't want to get baptized they, symbolically? 
then they essentially still bear the inequity mm-hmm. of their sins. Yeah. Yeah. So I, th- I look at it this way is um, when you let's let's if you drink another person's blood, you drink their life. So that's the entire theme of vampire, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're dr- you're no longer you anymore. like you, you don't you don't you are you have a part of that person's life in you. And that's that's abominable. That's so, an abomination to consume another life, especially since God specifically made that life to be its own individual. For you to consume that other person's life is to take yourself and say, hey, I know God made this as an individual, but I want to be more. Yeah, they want to possess someone else, basically, Mm -hmm. their lives. Yeah. So, I mean, like every movie that kind of glorifies the drinking of blood, whether it's vampirism and there's other even I think in some tribes and even in Africa, they actually drink cow's blood. I've seen it where mm-hmm. they'll cut, they'll slit the animal, they collect the blood, and then they start drinking that. So obviously, I mean, I'm glad it's it's not humans, but at the same time, they're disobeying God directly by anyone who is part of their culture or desired, you know, like vampirism or just anything where they tend to drink blood. And now the new thing is that they've been advertising, advertising everywhere. They're saying... Uh, like is part of aging infuse young people's blood yeah. into older people so they can turn and i think that's where it's headed honestly yeah like uh you actually have people who do this like there's yeah. a guy who's really into like living as long as he can and he literally has blood transfusions from his son oh gosh into his body because he wants to live a long time yeah, that's gross, right? So he's essentially appropriating somebody else's life. He's taking it's 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 yeah. even more of an abomination than than just having somebody give you their blood in my mind because you're taking yeah. that which is your son's. You right. were responsible to give your son life. Yeah, not the other way around. Not the other way around to so do he's it in draining reverse. his life. He's draining his life because it makes you weak once you lose blood. You have to. Oh re- yeah, yeah. You're, you're taking energy from the bones. Of yeah, your son. that's terrible. Your bones make the blood. Ah, uh, I hope he gets so, severe judgment. So, like when you take the blood from another person, you take the essence of you don't take the essence of the other person but it's almost like you do like because the bones generate the blood the heart pumps the blood the brain cannot operate without yeah. the blood it literally is so involved in your life like you can't you can't so like anyone who's using blood. children for that even like you you heard of adrenochrome right that's mm-hmm. uh yep where they torture children and drain their blood and then it gives them more power. It's disgusting what they're doing. And I think it's such a huge industry that nobody really talks about that people are actually purchasing this stuff and killing oh, children. Blood is blood yeah. is big money. Yeah. Like it's gold. Like it that, it's gold. worth more yeah. than gold. Right. What do you think price. about blood transfusion of like medically injured people? Um, I don't think much of it i know there are certain uh jewish sects that will not allow any sort of blood transfusion and i think jehovah's witnesses 
they also don't do but blood don't, transfusions. I, I thought about it because I've had blood transfusion as a child. Yeah. So this essentially means that I've gotten somebody else, part of somebody else's life inside of me, right? Yeah, I think. Life is in the blood. So what does it really mean, though, when we say that life is in the blood? Their spirit or is it just like if you don't have blood, you're obviously not going to live? Yeah, I think it's I think it's like the breath of life from God is in the blood. Yeah. Um, so then, I think that's kind of a reference to it because uh, and breath of God has been breathed into us as children. Yeah. So I guess when womb. people voluntarily give blood for blood donations, they're essentially giving part of themselves to save another person's life. Yeah. Yeah. Which, and you also have to keep in mind they couldn't do things like that back then so literally just drinking another like it wasn't like you're doing it to save somebody's life it was you were doing it to take their energy oh yeah if you're doing it just for drinking purposes yeah that's yeah. you know how the wickedness have grown and changed shape and changed the look of it so yeah. i'm always curious to know like we know today they still are doing this blood drinking thing and they're creating them into products like adrenochrome and all kinds of other stuff. But then oh, the yeah. biggest part of blood transfer from human to human is for medical reasons when somebody loses a lot of blood. So like Red Cross type of blood, you know. So is there anything wrong with that? Or do you think it's kind of violating God's commands in some way? Um, I haven't given it enough thought, but it seems to be on that borderline. Borderline, yeah, we don't know, right? So yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like they, they didn't have this op option back before, then, right? So, but the um, theme of blood is so important to God, though, and life is in the blood. I think for yeah. saving a life, it might be different than consuming it. Yeah, like that guy that you were talking about to take it away from his son. You know, I think, I think it has a lot to do with your selfish and yeah ambition and your intention. And because intention has to do with ritual, right? Like you have to put your like in, during the Levitical times, you put your sins upon the sacrifice, and putting and doing that is to take your bad intentions and putting it on the right animal. So, like you, you have it is a very powerful symbol, and there's a spiritual aspect to it as well. Um, because so, I guess you can do a transfer of blood. So, like. What you were saying, the scapegoat, they're putting their sins on the scapegoat and then shed blood that way. Or if you transfer it uh, out of love, then that gives life. Um, maybe yeah. we'll find that out later. All right. So we finished um, these two chapters. Um, so that's good. I think we made some good references. And thank you for reading today. That, that helped a lot. Um, so next time we'll do the next two chapters. All right. Thank you so much, and I'll, you let me know when you're ready for the next one. I will. I will. Well, you guys have a great week, and I'll talk to you next week. All right. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.